Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the American Masterminds Podcast. Each episode, we invite extraordinary guests who are masters of their craft, they're innovators, entrepreneurs, and of course, motorcycle enthusiasts who have made their mark in the world. They share their stories, insights, and hard-earned wisdom, giving you a front row seat to the strategies and experiences that shape their successes. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for an exhilarating ride as we dive deep into the minds of these exceptional individuals. Along the way, we'll uncover powerful strategies, gain fresh perspectives, and explore the limitless possibilities of what it takes to be an American mastermind. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the American Masterminds podcast. We have a very special episode for you tonight. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Adams. What up, what up? We've got uh, Kelly over here, and we got Alec up on the soundboard, and we have a very, very special guest for you. I'm very excited. She is one of the original members of the Bells uh, Motorcycle Riding Club. She's a real estate mogul, and she is one of the most inspirational people that we have ever come into contact with. I am very excited. Welcome. Thank you very much, Topher, for Jennifer that Wright. wonderful <laughs> introduction. Wow, I'm humbled. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Jennifer, well, you want to start us off? You got the first question? <clears throat> well, Jennifer came in with quite a list of amazing, um, we, could, we could do many podcasts, <laughs> uh, at least eight episodes um, with the material that you brought in. So thank you very much for that. You're um, welcome. Getting to know you, I'm excited to get to know you. You're a fellow Texan. What part of Texas? Austin, Texas. Austin, the That's good right. part. The only part in yeah. my book. The Texan part of Texas. The Texan part of Texas. Yeah. I love that. I grew up in Houston. Oh, okay. Which is the armpit part of and, Texas. And me, Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's so. a nice cousin to Austin. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone thinks Dallas is better than Austin unless you've been to Austin, and then you know. I, yeah. I love Austin. Austin yeah. is nice. Live music capital. Absolutely. All those bats. Oh, the bats. And the rolling hills yeah. and the yeah. water and just and the people. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, that's where I'd go when Texas secedes. I'm moving to Austin. I'm going, <laughs> yeah. yeah, straight to Texas. Um, well, I have a lot of questions, actually. I wanted to jump right in. Um, so as we are looking at this amazing life, I, how long have you been in the real estate industry? I started out in real estate um, when I was 27. Bought my first house when I was 27 years old. Oh, wow. And I used it as a house hack at first. And so um, house hacking means you buy a residence and you live in it and you either have like a mother-in-law apartment or extra housing, extra rooms, those types of things in your house that you can rent out to help subsidize your mortgage. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that led to another investment and then another, and, and here we are. And here we are. But that's not the original story of how I got investing, though. Well, let me hear how you got into investing, because that is always an adventure. So the investing part was um, my father has been in real estate and developing his entire life. And from that motivation, I kind of learned a little bit about the opportunities that could be there, and the pitfalls. So there's always a risk and a gain with real estate, as anyone who's ever gambled, done it. Gambled. <laughs> gambled, because it is a gamble, you yeah. know? And it's not just about knowing the market. It's about knowing who you're doing your dealings with. It's about knowing what your risk factors are. It's knowing about how to leverage other people's money to be able to assist you and them in your real estate investment goals and really knowing what your why is. And there's lots of different ways to accomplish those things and there's 
lots of experts and gurus out there. So really finding out who you can trust and who you vet for that information can empower you to really make the most of what your why is. And so my dad was the, I guess, the seed to that. But as I was going along in my career, healthcare was my thing. Um, my parents said that I was born with a stethoscope in my mouth mm. and in my arm and I had a syringe and I had this like nurturing aspect to who I was my whole life. And so it was just a, a thing for me. When they do those assessments in school to find out what your career is going to be, mm -hmm. yeah. mine was a nurse, a neuropsychologist, a neurosurgeon, a humanitarian or a archaeologist. Mm. And so it, that was my thing. And so it kind of fit into who I, and I, you know, I just was that way my whole entire life. And so it just became innate for me. And so I was in healthcare forever, but in healthcare, you don't make a ton of money, right? Yes. You do it because you love what you do. And so, um, and then I was always the breadwinner in my family as well, even though um, I was married. I, I was a single mom first, and then I got married later, and then um, had life experiences happen, and I knew that I needed to do something different. My uh, first husband and I got divorced. He was battling with some depression and stuff his whole entire life, and we got divorced, and later he committed suicide and left oh my, my kids um, without a father. And so I got to put my boots up and pull through and um, realize that I get to create something different for my family, not only just for my children so that they have a legacy, and, but also for myself so that all these years of being a wonderful mom and a sister and a friend and a healthcare provider and all these things, I get to do something different for myself hmm. to where my children had an example of what power and passion and compassion and generational wealth could actually be hmm. and so one of my friends um craig smith my late my late dear friend and fellow motorcycle rider he got me into real estate investing officially and he uh, said jen you get to change your stars and i said really how am i going to do that and he said you're going to do some investing with me and I said, don't do the stock market. And he's like, no, we're going to do real estate. You already have a passion for it. You already have done it and succeeded in the past. Let's, let's do something different. Let's do this together. So he came over and he introduced me to some real estate groups and to some different kinds of education and got me, in, got me into it. And I saw it. And I was like, okay. So I posted it on social media about a couple of things. And a couple of my friends wanted to get into it and got a couple of my friends into it. And they just took off. No kidding. No kidding. Huh. No kidding. And so through that gift that my dear friend Craig blessed me with, I've been able to move forward with that. And my dad um, does mortgages in Texas. And so he said, with your real estate investing, let's marriage that with mortgages because you can create wealth for your patients, for the people that are underserved in the community that you have such passion for, for distressed homeowners, for people who are facing foreclosures, for your senior population who are gonna have to go into an assisted living community. 
and they don't have the money to do it. And it's all of a sudden, what are they going to do? You can create such a difference in people's lives by doing both of them. Let's get you started. And I was hesitant about it because I'm like, I'm not leaving healthcare. That's my thing. You know, it's I'm a chaplain and I am in service. How in the heck can real estate and mortgages be in the service industry? And he said, come and sit with me for a day and we'll see. And so I sat with him. I went to Austin after I moved back here to Utah. Uh, I moved, went to Austin and I sat with him and I listened to him talk to his clients. And I remember this one story that was so passionate and it just like ingrained in my brain. He was talking with a single mom and her situation resonated with me because it was very similar where she was about to lose her house and how he sat with her and said, have you done this? What about this? Let me connect you with this. Okay, let's do this. And over the next couple of weeks, he was able to get her out of the situation that she was in and get her to be able to save her home that she'd been with her kids. And so they didn't have to move and created this opportunity just by doing some creative mortgage stuff that nobody else had ever offered her. And I went, wow, okay, there you go. I'm going to do this. And so it really kind of blended well with well, what I know, love. That's a really interesting point. It, and I think I'm probably stealing this directly from you here. And I know the backpack, but it's not necessarily what you're doing it's who you are right you can help people in any any facet of, of anything and like you were saying with the real estate stuff i know this one's coming from you is that you're offering somebody a piece of of their life mm-hmm. you know like you were saying and i'm gonna butcher it so step in and fix it but <laughs> you're, when you sell a house and you own that house that's a piece of you forever you drive down that street and that's a that's a piece of you and even getting to that point of getting a house, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. And helping people, like I said, helping people comes in many, many different ways. Absolutely. And so it doesn't matter what industry you're in. You're, you're doing something for somebody. Like an accountant, thank God we have accountants because, <laughs> heck no, there's, I would be in jail for... At least something. Something <laughs> in relation to doing my accounting wrong if I didn't have my accountant, right? right. And I could never be... Um, you know, something else. That's just who I am. But thank heavens for them because they're providing a service. So I agree with that comment for sure. And so real estate and real estate investing is a service industry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know that, Rob. You're an agent. I am an agent. And so is Kelly. Kelly. We're we're heavy with agents around here. (laughs) I think the best agents are the ones that have that mentality. Um, The ones that are going into it with uh, that um, commission breath. You can spot them a mile away. You mm-hmm. can smell it coming, right? right. So, mm-hmm. and you know that they're not gonna—they're not gonna last because they're not—we're not the only ones that are picking up on that. And so, nobody wants to be around that. And so, the service—the service heart is, I think, the core of a good, good person in our industry, or a good agent, or a good mortgage person. I agree. And yeah. I think here in Utah, kind of playing on that, I think here in Utah, that is very prevalent in the real estate industry. Yeah. Like, they're. Most of the real estate agents that I know, they are so service oriented, right? Yeah. Their goal is to, to serve and to mm-hmm. make other people's lives better. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And that's, you know, I think that that's why one of, you're my, one of my real estate partners is because I see that value that you have. And, and I've known you for years. And so I wanted to align not just with anybody just because they're making, you know, so many closings a month or whatever, I want them to have a good heart so they align with who I am. And 
their mission and their values yeah. are, are who I am. Because if I'm going to have you work with some of my seniors, I don't want just somebody who's going to go in there right. and, and see a see a potential of money. I want them to come well, from it, heart. It's 100%. Yeah. It's not what you do. It's who you are. That's right. I love that. Well, one of the things, um, and just there's a lot we're going to jump around tonight. I hope that's sure. okay with yeah, you. And absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is um, you said you ride a motorcycle. I do. Um, what kind of bike do you have? I have a 2007 Sportster Harley Davidson Custom. Whoa. Ooh. Which I'm supposed to 1200 <laughs> for the last month. <laughs> 1200 wow, that's, a, that's, Kelly, a, that's a lot of bikes. Well, she keeps it's asking awesome. me, come look at it, come look at it. But I haven't been Yeah, because she yet. hasn't, something's wrong with her. She won't start. I've replaced the battery. I've checked all the cords. I've done all the wire. I looked at everything, and I don't know. That's where I'm grateful for people who can, because that's not my thing. Oh, man. I, It'll be amen. something simple. I can ride her great, but I can't fix her. Yeah. Same. And her name is Phoenix, by the way. Ooh. Very cool. Seems to be a theme going on here. It is a here. theme. Yeah. <laughs> it's a theme. Let's talk about that theme. Why is that, uh, why is that theme important to you? So, you know, like the, the, the mystical Phoenix bird. Mm -hmm. They are beautiful and they fly and they do all these things. And then their life is over. They flame up into this burning glory to this pile of ashes. And through those ashes they start to emerge again and they grow and they blossom and they bloom and they come right out of those ashes into the most amazing, beautiful bird, even more spectacular than they were before. And a lot of people have said, Jen, that's, that's your life. You have been like a Phoenix rising and that's what they call me, the Phoenix rising over and over again. And yet you still come up more beautiful and more powerful and more bright than you were before and nothing seems to, seems to dim your light for long it does because i'm human and i'm an, i'm willing to admit that i've i've been suicidal before i've battled with depression i've battled with self-esteem and body issues i've um I, I i've had a life you know and so the phoenix to me is just like the most amazing representation of overcoming things in life and that no matter what happens, you can always come back mm. even better than before. Would you say that that's like your, it's your motivation, how you get through stuff, almost to the point that you kind of bring it on. I, Abs go oh ahead. yeah, bring it on is one of my catchphrases <laughs> that my kids will always say, okay, bring it on, here we go. And we'll rise from this again. That's right. That's really cool. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. As I'm looking at your uh, resume, some of the story that I've um, <laughs> that I've watched and read, um, I love that you've traveled to Turkey, Syria, <gasps> Egypt, and Greece. All of these places are bucket list places for me to travel. Um, tell me, what was your your big lesson in, in in some of these these journeys that you've done throughout your life? Like, there's always a consistent theme mm -hmm. of what you're looking for. Well, there's a little bit to go and as to why she went to those that's, places. Yeah, that's where we're headed. And there's more than those places too. Yeah? I've been to over um, 26 countries. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I love to hear more about what your question's gonna be. Well, so my question is, as I'm looking at the reason for your travel, mm -hmm. um, there's a humanitarian theme that mm -hmm. runs through these um, these journeys, and so I was, uh, my, my goal in this is like, what, are, what is the lesson, the commonality that you were taking away from these, mm. these travels um, in this humanitarian effort? Sure. 
So since I was a young kid, I uh, was a dancer. We used uh, we lived in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, actually, oh, when wow. I was a little kid. Yep, and we owned a place called Togarty Lodge, and we ran that for years and years, and it had a bar and all that kind of stuff. And so I was just little, so I'd go around and get up on the stage, and I would dance for all the drunks in the bar, and I'd go around and drink all the beer and smoke the cigarettes, you know. And I was only like two or three years old. Oh boy! So I started out dancing when I was just a little kid, and it just was that way since I was little and I grew up and through high school and college um, I got dance scholarships and was able to win some awards and things and was able to travel around the world doing performances you know we got to go to the Lord Mayor's Ball in Dublin and perform there and uh, perform for the St. Patrick's Day Parade, mm. we got to go to the Hula Bowl, we got to go to the Macy's Day Parade, you know, little things like that. So when, that was my first um, taste of travel when I was um, 16 years old, uh, and I was um, over there, and I got to see some amazing things and beauties and just all the cool stuff you get to see as a tourist, right? But then I also got to see some of life, and we got to see some of the poverty. We got to see some of the dis- discrimination. And back then, there was the uh, re- religious party issues because hmm. um, in, in Ireland, in Ireland yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that the going on back there. The, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And so we got to see a lot of that as well. And I thought, what? Because I grew up in this little teeny world over here where I was we didn't watch TV much, you know, and we were in a very um, LDS family, and so things were always good, and we didn't know much and sheltered. And then that was my first experience of, oh, this, there's a life out there different than what we have. And it turned something on in me that never could be squelched. And so um, when I moved out of the house, uh, when I was 17, and um, moved back, when I went to school, I wanted to do healthcare administration, nursing, and international political science with a focus on public health. Hmm. Because I wanted to go overseas, use my healthcare degree, use my nursing degree, and use my political science and pub- with public health to be able to change things. So uh, while I was going to school, I signed up to join the Peace Corps. Oh. Six weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Life happens. Life happens. Bring. And so that disqualified me from doing that, obviously, but it didn't take my passion away. And uh, so I continued with schooling. Um, I I became a single parent. um, And so I took my daughter with me to school. She went to Weber State University with me, went to college, (laughs) sat right there. She had her little book. And my daughter, Ariel, is the most amazing kid you've ever, well, she's a mom and whatever. But she was just young, and so my parents watched her while I was invited to go on this humanitarian trip. And we went to Turkey first, and we uh, got to study abroad as well with the Turkish American Society. Mm. And this is a little funny story while we were there. We were there for two weeks, and we were immersed in learning Turkish and um, all about culture and all those things. And we went to a World Cup football match. Ooh. And it was Turkey against da, 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 England. Oh, jeez. Holy honk. <laughs> Holy honk. That was an experience inside of itself, right? So 
World football matches, and it was a World Cup, by the way, mm -hmm. or preliminaries or something like that. And so we were like, do we sit on the Turkish side or do we sit on the English side? Because we look more English, but we're here serving mm -hmm. the Turks. What do we do? So we sat right on the, on the border of both of them. <laughs> and be, when you walk in to the game, they check everything. They take everything that could be used as a, what they call a missile. Oh, throwing stuff. Throwing stuff. You gotcha. So everything you could think of that would be used as a missile they took away. And I'm totally off topic. I apologize. No, but this gets, you, gets me to where yeah. I'm going still. And um, <laughs> so we sat and there was their military sitting right next to us. Like we had military with their AK-450, whatever they're called, AK-47s, uh -huh. right? All in their riot gear sitting right next to us. And we're British here and Turks on the other side. Oh, jeez. So it's not... If memory serves, the game was probably not even maybe 15 minutes into it, and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> all hell breaks loose. And we see, like, things flying ahead, and we're, like, ducking. And my group, I was the only medical person in this whole group. The other ones were, like, archaeologists and things like that. And they're all ducking and all this stuff. And then the military is like, okay, everybody, and you can hear them over the the speaker's saying, you know, we, we have to call a break on the game until everyone calms the hell down and all this stuff. And people start rioting and freaking the heck out. And people start leaving the stadium and I see blood. Ding, 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 ding. You know, the firefighter in me, the, <laughs> the medic in me comes out. And I'm like, where's the blood? Where's the blood? So I follow this trail and I see this guy sitting on the stands with his head down and his hands covered over his eye. And I'm like, oh. And he has a British flag wrapped around him. So I go over and I say, hey, I'm American. Can I help you? He's like, and he lifts his head up and he's just got blood gushing. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a medic. I'm going to nursing school. What can I do to help you? And his friends are like, something bad happened. So I said, let me see. And he put his hand down and eyeball. Oh, no. Hanging on his cheek. So I'm like, okay, we got to get a cup and some tape. And so I kind of had to jerry-rig everything. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I just found a solo cup kind of a thing, put it over his eye, and got some, um, tore off some of his uh, shirt, shirt and made a little cover for for his eye right to keep his eye in and we started walking out of the stadium and um i says we need to go down to the team's quarters so that we can get you taken care of and get you to the hospital so as we're down walking and the stadium's up here with seating and we're walking down behind um going over to the team's area and things people were throwing stuff down at them and i'm like we need to take your flag off and hide that because you're a target for the Turks to be throwing things at you. So we did, but not before we got all these cameras and press coming up to us, taking pictures of us, you know, and all these oh, things. No. Crazy. I was like, what the heck is going on? This is silly. Go into the, um, to the, um, what do you call them? Locker room. The locker room. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Got to their team, doctors and everything, and they're like, yeah, we get to get him to the hospital. So I rode with them into the ambulance. We went over there. They got him all taken care of and all of that stuff. And in the meantime, when I was waiting in the waiting room over at the hospital, the Turkish, um, Amer um, the Turkish British ambassador came over and found me and said, thank you so much. We appreciate all the things that you did. 
what are you here for? And I told him, all oh, we're here for humanitarian and you know work abroad stuff. And he's like, well, I would like to invite you to our gala, and I would love you to be their, um, their ambassador for this event to help you know bring about some change and things because the Persian Gulf War was going on at this yeah, time and everyone yeah. thought that I was crazy this I'm normally a fiery redhead <laughs> um, until I got <laughs> so gray hair so sense. this does that help you <laughs> that makes a lot more sense okay, okay. so the ginger in me gotcha. was like sure bring like it on sex like I got you. yeah and while everyone else is running away the firefighter <laughs> medic in me runs towards it right so yeah, yeah. So that's where I kind of started doing the humanitarian work. It was my thing. And I realized about myself that I run towards what other people fear. Hmm. And, and I'm not afraid. And I, I react very well to trauma and, and crises. And working in the emergency room and on ambulance, and in, that's it's not scary to me. Hmm. So if I can do that in these war-torn areas, where people are afraid or they have a bad sense of who Americans are, if I can change that in some small way, All bring better. it on. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Hmm. So, and we're so blessed here in America. We're absolutely blessed with so much. We have our problems, absolutely, but we are also very blessed. And people who have not had the opportunity to travel overseas um, and experience life, don't go, go stay in the five-star hotel. Go and live with the people. Go, don't go to where everyone else goes. Go and see the sights. I genuinely believe that that would solve a lot of problems in this country. Is if people had to go to different places and see how everybody else is getting it done. Because we are very blessed here, we especially are. here in Spre- Salt Lake. Like it, this is, this has to be one of the best in the in the entire world. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, they should call the whole state Happy Valley, not just Salt Lake. You know, because yeah. I mean, seriously, it's it's a wonderful place to live, mm-hmm. and we are. 20 minutes from the best mountains, <laughs> seriously, in the world. In the world. Yeah. Don't tell it too loud. That's, we right. don't want I'm everyone sorry. to I'm keep sorry. coming here. We need the Californians to stop. Utah sucks. <laughs> don't move here. Don't move here. <laughs> Stay home. That's your public service announcement from Alec. <laughs> so, um, I know you traveled a little bit with Shiro's, right? Yes, I did. Okay. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. What's Shiro's? Shiro's United. Okay. So, Shiro's United was founded um, so that we could assist women and children and those underserved around the globe and in our backyards. So, it's a female organization ran by females. And it's not just for, we don't, don't help women. It's, we help our men who support us. And so, we have a Shiro's United men's version as well. And we have four different areas that we initially started to focus on. One was abolishing human trafficking. The second one was to stop and prevent and provide resources to domestic violence. We wanted to work with military and their families and provide mental health as well to all of those served. And so we... um, knew that change needed to happen. So we worked with um, our government here. We worked with Keith Spires. Um, and we developed lots of education and materials, as well as awareness, about those different issues. And it's a ground roots movement to create that empowerment and awareness, not just for the people that 
may have been a victim or even a survivor, which I like to call, um, of that. But to people who don't even know that it exists, and look now, human trafficking has become one of the greatest advocacies um, prevention groups out there, you know, with Operation Underground Railroad, plus all of the other splinters. Um, I was um, a CEO of a human trafficking prevention company for years, and I really loved that. And veterans are one of the things that I'm very passionate about. My brother is um, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, um, and he's actually stationed stationed in London right now. And uh, if I told you what he does, I'd have to kill you. Well, naturally. So... But because uh, I actually don't know either, but <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a cop out. I, think. <laughs> I just know that um, I love my brother very much, and I have a long history of family who served in the military. My father was a sniper as well, and so. Um, so can you shoot a gun? Very well, thank you very much. <laughs> Okay. And I own she them. doesn't know what an AK-57 well, is. No, AK- that's okay. I just didn't know what we'll they had. We'll just focus on the American guns. That's yeah. right. The, the that's AK-57. Right. <laughs> I don't know what, the ter- what they carried. I know what I carry. <laughs> um, see, now you it's okay, I don't know topic. what an AK-57 is. Okay. Either. <laughs> They're rare. They're super I, I, I've never seen one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen one either. Hard to get ammo for. Except in Turkey. <laughs> Turkey, Turkey military has Turkey those. military. Yeah. That's, That's what right. it was. That's right. Yep. Turkish military. Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. So um, through Shiro's United, um, one of my dearest friends, um, Celeste Gleave and Bridget Cook-Birch, we aligned ourselves with some, some very powerful and important people. And we decided that not only are we helping people here in the United States, but we needed to help around the world. So who better to help us with that than the Pope? Shut up. I mean, Shut up. You're going to pick somebody. I I picked, mean, we yeah. picked somebody. Yeah. So we um, got an audience to be able to go over to the to the Vatican, and uh, I can't remember which festival it was, but it's one of their most holy festivals, um, where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this square at the Vatican, and we got to be able to talk to him about the veteran issues. Hmm human trafficking, domestic violence, and put our agenda out to him and let him know how important these issues are and that he has the power to make change. That us, this little group outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, we can only do so much and we're powerful, but it really takes an army that he can provide through his connections and his prayer and is, he's just an amazing guy. And uh, so while we were there, we got to go back a couple of times, and we also were very passionate about the Congolese people. And while we were there, um, we got to have private tours. We got to go down into the catacombs and go into private things and just so amazing experiences while we were there that... um, Wait, I have to ask him. Was it John Paul? (laughs) No. No. Who was it? Uh... See, now you're going to ask me and my brain's tired. The one that's there now, what's his name? Gosh darn. Please. Now I don't know. And cut, cut it out. <laughs> okay, we'll cut this out. Sorry, okay. I, I, had to, I just had to ask that. Sorry. Pope- John, Paul, Ringo. No. I'll tell you later. It's pope, it was Pope Francis and then Pope Benedict, right? It's Benedict, thank you. Benedict, okay. Yeah, it's Benedict. Wow, yeah. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so he's a cool guy. And uh, so we wanted to 
Yes. I'm listening. Okay. So we wanted to be able to help. And we know that um, some of the atrocities that are going on in the world, Congo has one of the greatest ones ever. Yes. And we met some people that um, were running for office for the Congolese party. And so they're like, we said, come with us to the Vatican. And let's also meet your people and some of the dignitaries there in addition to who we're going to be meeting and let's make some change. And so that gave us also some power with the Pope to be able to get some things going. So while I was there, I know what Kelly's getting at. While I was there, we were about ready to be interviewed on TV. And as the diplomatic liaison and uh, spiritual advisor for She Rose United, I went out to pray. And we're on the Vatican, for heck's sakes. Who doesn't go and pray and meditate on Vatican grounds, right? So that, I, so I did. Attempt, yeah. Give it an attempt, right? So I went, and the Vatican, as you know, is, is old. Rome is old. There's ancient things everywhere. And in Rome, their uh, man covers are not round like ours. They are square. And so on the Vatican grounds, there's trees and all these things everywhere, and and the lights are beautiful, and the leaves were falling because we went in the fall. And as I was walking, all of a sudden, whoosh, I fall into this manhole. Oh, Jesus. And I catch myself, and I'm hanging on this manhole. And I look down, and there are the ruins of Rome with water running down them. And the fear of God came in me and the strength of God pulled myself out. I sit on the side of this manhole looking down (laughs) and I feel immediate pain. So the manhole cover was not set straight, so it was off angle. So when I was walking, I couldn't see that there was a manhole cover there. And when I fell, one of the rims of the manhole cover went up and sliced my leg and hit my pelvis. Oh, no. So I got to have a trip to the hospital. And at the time, I thought, what in the heck is going on? Who gets hurt on Vatican grounds right before you go on to have interviews and be on TV and all these things with your group than me? So what am I going to learn from this? Well, the greatest thing was I got to see how their healthcare system works. I got to see how amazing the Pope and the Cardinals and the Archbishops were. They came to see me in the hospital. They paid for everything for me. Oh, my goodness. And as they came to see me, um, they offered help. You know, of course, what can, what can they do for me? And I said, you can, you can pray for me. And so I got to have them pray for me right there. Oh, my goodness. And as they finished, you know, I said, thank you. And I says, what can I do for you? And they said, you can pray for us. And I said, I pray for you guys every day. And they said, no, right now. (laughs) So I did. And it was one of those times when I can genuinely say, and I've had many of these times from being a chaplain, where I felt that the words were not my words, that the words that I was saying were inspired. And what, uh, I mean, like I get spirit bumps. That's what I, spirit bumps, just thinking about it and just humbled by the mere fact that 
in the most beautiful and iconic spiritual place for so many, not just Catholics. And holy. And very holy and historic, right? That I got to have this experience. So from, from that experience, it just empowered us even more that there were some great things to happen and great things to come. So um, I had a fractured pelvis and um, I got a, the, my, my bruise on the back of my thigh went from my knee up to my tush. Oh my goodness. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and I was like, I'm getting a blood clot. I can tell something's bad and I couldn't, I couldn't walk. It was horrible. But after my prayer from them, I felt a little bit better because we still had all the walking to do. We still had the tours to do. We still had all these people to meet and all this stuff. I couldn't be this gimp that missed everything, right? And be handicapped by that. So I took it easy for a little bit, and they said, you'll be okay, but here's some treatments, Here, here's what we're gonna do, yada, yada, when you go home, take care of things, and put me on some blood thinners. Well, I came home, and um, I had a stroke from the blood clot from riding on the airplane. I fell down the stairs at work at the hospital. How old were you when this happened? It was 2016. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And uh, so I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn, to learn talk, drive, eat, cook, think, um, manage life in general. And so that's where I knew that that blessing came in that gave me that strength to be able to come through that. Um, and that's when I met you. And that's when you met me was during that time. Hmm. Yep. So I couldn't ride my bike anymore. I, I also fractured my neck, so I had to have... Um, Same incident? Uh-huh. Hmm. So I had to have my uh, discectomy, <laughs> fusion, and plating of C4, 5, 6, and almost 7. Oh. I probably am going to have to go back in now. But anyway, so I couldn't ride my bike through that long time, so I got to ride with Kelly, which was awesome. And... Everyone in our motorcycle community stepped up, and when they heard that I was recuperating now and um, could ride a bike again, they were all like, no, you're not yet. We're, you're going to ride behind me. And I was like, okay. But then when I can ride, you're riding bitch behind me. And, <laughs> and they did. <laughs> so, so that also is showing that no matter what happens in life, it's all about what you make it and you move forward. And and one thing that I do get to share is that all of my life experiences, which you don't even know about it, a lot of them yet, every single one of them has been a growing experience. And thank heavens that I had family and support and faith and a community and good coping skills. Because there's people that have showed up in my life who don't have that, mm. who don't have a support group, who don't have friends, who don't have faith who don't have coping skills and an innate whatever God gave me to be able to overcome these things. So people would come into my life and I would be there for them. And I could actually truly empathize with them, not just speak the words, but actually be present and hopefully have some positive impact so that they can say, okay, Jen, Jen, you, you did this. I can do it too and move forward and and that's pretty awesome. That so, is awesome. So that's pretty awesome. Hmm. Hmm. Well, look. So, um, how many 
How many members are in Shiro right now? Mm. I don't even know how many they have. <laughs> I don't. We kind of took a break for a little bit mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And so I don't really know how many how many that is anymore. I don't. It, but it's a lot. We uh, it's, a, it's a lot more than what when you were in it, yeah. right? When you started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a so lot it's more. grown considerably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just continued on in different in different avenues too. So I'm gonna ask you a question. It's gonna come from left field here. Go okay? ahead. Where do you find? So you have a toolkit of, of all these different experiences and everything that goes on, and and you have different methods of your coping mechanisms and everything that goes into this. Mm -hmm. Are you a reader, or or is this something that you're just perpetually open to? How do? What's your method for that? So I love to learn. I love to read. I love listening to podcasts. Right, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, yours included. I love. Um, just experiencing life and so whenever I can't when I experience something I can either move forward learn from it in a positive way that's healthy or I can learn from it in a negative way or from somebody who may not give me the best advice right and so I also went through in 2008 uh, through impact trainings and I had just come out of a really sad divorce and I became a, f a facilitator of that. But through growing, going through those different stages and the different levels that they have, man, you go to the deepest core of your deepest ugly. And you have to take a look at yourself for all of the masks that we wear, all of the stories that we tell, all the narratives that we created to overcome or to make ourselves look better or to fall into some kind of something. There's ways to deal with things in a healthy way. But how can I heal in a healthy way if I don't know how? Mm -hmm. So by reading and having faith and God in a prayer and family who's so supportive and my kids, my kids were my life. If I didn't have my kids, I probably wouldn't be here, quite frankly. And uh, so through things like impact trainings, which was phenomenal, um, and my, we, they call them angels when they get you and introduce you into impact. And my angel is, she was one of the case managers that I worked with in healthcare uh, when I was um, in home health and hospice all these mm -hmm. years ago. And she introduced me to it and I was hesitant forever to go. I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't need it. Nope, I'm not ready for that. And I was always an excuse until my kids said, Mom, you need some help. Life has hit you so hard for so long. You are no longer light. And I was like, okay. And Andrea, God bless her heart, I love you. And um, She didn't tell me anything about it. She just said, you get to go. And you get to take off a whole week of, school, of work and everything that you have everything you need to find someone to take care of your kids, whatever it takes, you're going. I was like, okay. So I show up and bam, because I'm an open person, like you had, like you had maybe mentioned. Mm -hmm. I'm open to it, you know, and I trust. But during that, it was not easy for me to trust the process. It was not easy for me to take a look at all of these things again, but in a different way. And, but, but the first week when we got out of there, I came home and even my ex-husband noticed a difference in me. 
My kids noticed a difference in me. My employer noticed a difference in me on the second day when I went back to, to work that next Tuesday. Hmm. And it was just the first, first session of the training. There's like multiples. And so through that, I was able to gain some insight and some tools. In addition to what I'd already gained over years, I worked, um, it, when I worked for Intermountain Healthcare, uh, I worked in their psych ward. And I was uh, helping facilitate um, group sessions, and I learned a lot there. And I also went to counseling from the time I was in high, um, college hmm. until I was um, 2008 on and off when I went to Impact. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, huh. so you're more of a hands-on, but you've, you've gathered. It, it, it's something I'm really working on right now. Mm-hmm. Life seems to be coming at me mm-hmm. left and right, mm-hmm. and it's about the tool chest. It's about the war chest of what you have to throw at it, right? Yeah. And getting all these, that's why I, I value these guys so much. Mm-hmm. I, 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 Alec, even, I, I learn from everybody that comes around. I'm also trying to pick up on the reading thing. I, so I'm, I'm always curious, is like, where, where are you getting it from, you know? When I'm that's dyslexic, really cool. so reading is a challenge for me. And then now that I'm 54, I get to use readers. <laughs> and so it's not fun for me anymore. So I do everything on audiobook or watching it on TV or doing um, immersion Game changers. Absolutely. And so I became a, a life coach through all my experiences by getting certifications and going and having classes and learning from the experts and having one-on-one mentors. But it wasn't just to be a life coach for other people. I wanted to be my own and for my kids and people that were close to me and my patients. And so I left actually uh, being in, a, in an administrative role and in sales role in healthcare to be a clinical chaplain. And because people had said, Jen, you have this way with people. They would call me when there was a patient breaking down and having problems or there was an angry family to, to, to diffuse the situation, just to listen, just to be, just to validate. And they said, Jen, you should be a social worker or a psychologist. I was like, yeah, no, mm, <laughs> no. And then I had an experience where my late father-in-law was on hospice and they had a female chaplain. And I went, oh my gosh, I can do that. That is who I, I can do that. And then the spirit bumps happened. And then I haven't looked back since and it's a calling. So being a clinical chaplain and working in hospitals and trauma centers and you even have the opportunities to work for the FBI and police officers and corporate offices, that's a calling. But doing real estate and real estate investing in mortgages, that's my career. Sure. And, uh, and you need both. And you need both. <clears throat> so there's yes. got to be a balance. Hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Powerful things. Well, in your in your becoming a chaplain, um, I've I was in law enforcement for a while, and I had a chaplain that was very instrumental in my life, like life changing. Mm. Um, you have a lot of opportunities to uh, to be an influence for good, and um, with your clinical, um, you know, your learning and growing, and all the coaching that you did with. Um, these different programs, were you able to, I mean, is there a time when you felt like you were really stepping into it? Like, this is, this is my, this is my flow. This is my thing. Like, is, is there a time when that happened? Yeah. I would say, um, after, during impact, uh, we would go through all of the stages and then we did life mastery and things like that. And you do these ropes courses and really big immersions. And I wasn't even completed with some of my trainings and they asked me to be, um, a facilitator. And 
I was like, I, I felt, well, I felt in myself, I'm not worthy of this. I don't have all the tools. I'm not done with my learning. Why are they asking me to do this? And I asked. And they gave me the answer that I needed to hear. And so that put me on my course of that introspection, self-empowerment, paying it forward, being a force of change and light for others so that they could see that in themselves because people far too often lose that light in themselves. And it takes just one person, like even just riding in the elevator and you saying hi and looking them right in the face and being genuine about it. Hi, oh my gosh, I, you have the most beautiful eyes. You, you actually actually have great eyes. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, your eyelashes are phenomenal. Thanks. Right? I work very hard. Yeah. <laughs> Women would pay for them. You're not wrong. But, but just a genuine compliment. Or you're walking down the street, instead of looking down like this, look up and just make eye contact with people. You'll be amazed at what it throws them off at first, but they really appreciate the just, hi, how are you, and you really mean it. And so if you can make a difference in someone's life, just that small little thing, how cool is that? And so that kind of put me on that journey. And I left the LDS church when I was uh, 19 years old when I got pregnant with my daughter out of wedlock. I was a leader um, at LDSSA when I got pregnant because I was fornicating. Oh, no. I know. Is that Hellraiser you? It's, it's <laughs> scientifically proven yeah. that that's how it I works. I didn't know that. I was told <laughs> that you awesome. get pregnant by French kissing, actually. Yeah. Well, petting. <laughs> petting? Yeah. 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 It's a slippery slope, friends. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, that damn fornication. So, Unbelievable. Fornication. Gosh dang it. <laughs> so. It'll get you every time. Consortium. Gosh darn. And uh, so I. I uh, was asked to step down from from that because how would it look of course obviously I got it I was on the LDSSA folk dance team and the ballroom team and all those things and I had to stop at that time too but I uh, I loved it and so I left the church when I was 19 and they offered me the opportunity the church did to um, have my name removed from the records of the church or what? or to be excommunicated because I did not have remorse for having a child out of wedlock. Oh no. Because I didn't, because when I was um, 17 years old, I had an ovarian tumor the size of a softball and I had to have it removed. And they what? Mm -hmm. And in before they w wheeled me into surgery, I said, you will do every single thing possible to save my ovaries because I am meant to be a mom. I am going to have children, and you are not taking that from me. And my mom, and I can remember my mom and dad's face, and they're like, do what she says. And they're like, but what if her life's in danger? Because they didn't know what, what it was. They didn't know if it was cancerous or whatever. Because it grew from the size of, like, nothing to overnight very, very, very quickly, and it was, it was awful. And I said, no, I'm going to, I'm supposed to have a kid. And so they took my, one of my ovaries and part of my other one, and... Um, so it was like very difficult for me to have children or all those years of not using birth control. I got a kid all of a sudden. What right? God. Yeah. God right? Has his own so plans. there's a plan, right? And so um, I had a child out of wedlock and they, uh, I, I chose 
to have my name removed from the records of the church. And I uh, wrote letters many, 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 many times to have that done, and it never happened, and I'm okay. It's okay. It, it's fine with me. Um, most of, a lot of my family still are very, very LDS and served LDS missions, and I love them, and they do great work, and they believe in it, and my parents um, still believe that I'm going to make a great Relief Society president one day, but for me, for me, I am spiritual. I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. I love so much, genuinely, and I have such a intimate relationship with my own higher power, God, the universe, whatever people want to call it, that I'm good. And I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen when I die. I don't, I'm not afraid of where I'm going to go or who I'm going to see, or if I'm going to have this come to Jesus talk, that's going to be awful. What's going to happen? He's going to sit down and say, you know what, John, I love you. You're so cool. You're like this badass bitch motorcycle rider who did the best that you did with what you had. And you seriously took care of my, my brothers and sisters. You know, I think that's, that's a very powerful point. Seriously, the definition of God, okay, yeah. is pure unconditional love. Amen. That is the actual <clears throat> definition. Love the you, least of these, he said. Uh-huh. Well, you can't have that and have hellfire and damnation in the same sentence. The two are, are oxymorons. They can't mm-hmm. coexist. No. And I think that, that religion and different things, they've made this a hell of a lot more complicated than it, it actually to needs to be. Right. It's very simple. Or that he intended it to be. And I think that there, it's a live working thing. Absolutely. God gave us 10 rules. That seemed to be too many. Jesus came down and said, listen, it's, it's just one. <laughs> just follow the one. Just be like, be just loved. loved. That's it. It is very, very simple. And I don't think... He can't be a judging God and a, a hellfire and damnation. Those, they, they can't be no. together, no. right? So I'm with you. I think that God's going to sit down with everybody mm-hmm. and say, you mm-hmm. did it. You yep. made it. You're going to be okay. And Heavenly Mother is going to be sitting right there next mm-hmm. to him because if we're created in God's image, I'm a woman. There's got to be a mom. I'm an amazing mom. I have an amazing mom and I have an amazing father. So why wouldn't it be that there's both of us has to be and we're just silent we're just more quiet because Good. heavenly father and god has so much respect and love for us as women that he doesn't want her slandered as much as he is 100% he's the man of men he's the man of and men. he's protecting mm-hmm. that's that has to be the answer to that that's that's what i think too. yeah yeah i had to ask i just wanted to know what your answer was that's a great answer thank you for that you're welcome you have so many experiences, so many amazing um, stories. Um, I, I want to ask, um, and this is we're hanging a left here, yeah, but yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your um, becoming a firefighter, the first firefighter in the city. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. First, first woman firefighter. First, yeah. Yep. Woman firefighter. So I had always loved adventure and, like I told you before, running in while others were running out doesn't scare me. And so how was I going to put myself through school? (sighs) Yeah, firefighting, EMT, Mm -hmm. all the way, baby. And so I decided that that was going to be a really great thing for me because it was flexible with the schedule. Sure. Uh, I got to take care of people. I got to do danger. I got to hang around really sexy men. (laughs) 
And we got the real reason. That's, we a, go. that's a perk. Those <laughs> firefighters. Oh, man. Women, I mean, men in uniform, because my first daughter, um, Ariel's dad's a, a police officer. That's how we met, was going to EMT school together um, in Ogden. And uh, <laughs> and it, it was just a thing. I loved it so much. And it was easy. Nursing school, because of all the chemistry and the biology and the math, hated that. But when you actually get me live and I get to, like, do IVs and do IOs and, you know, all those really cool stuff and work under pressure and not freak out and be calm and level-headed and bring that to your department, that was a thing for me. And, And I was okay if it was dangerous because someone's got to do it. Mm-hmm. And if I can save a child's life and run into a burning building and save my partner's life, or I can help my fellow police officers who secure the scene before we go in, thank you for that. Um, then it, it, you, I didn't even think about it. It's like second nature. It's like riding a bike is just a thing. Like like in Turkey, I didn't even think about it. It was like blood, <laughs> bloodhound in me just goes right to it. It's a thing, hmm. you know? And so I st- did that while I was here. And then when I became pregnant, I had to go back to Austin, Texas. And I was on the department out in Longview, Texas. Hmm. And I loved it out there. And I was uh, the second only female on the department out there in a very male-run department. Utah is much more women-friendly than the Texas mm-hmm. back then was. But that was in 19... 19- 89. Still Texas. Still still Texas. It's, yeah. it's still the same. But uh, so when I moved back here, I wasn't on the department anymore because I'd got my career and my degree and things like that. But we uh, moved to Eagle Mountain. And they that's where they asked me to be on the planning commission and things like that. And we back then there was no fire department. Nothing. We, we It was the middle of nowhere with no EMS. So we didn't have fire trucks. We had EMS. Part of county, right? Uh, pardon me? Part of county or part of Utah County? Nope. Oh, really? Eagle Mountain Fire and Rescue is what we were called. We were all volunteer. Oh wow. oh, wow. And we had the rigs at our house, and we would respond from our home as volunteers because we didn't have stations and those things. I lived in the ranches, and they were building the station out in town center. Hmm. And so the um, us on the department in the ranches had the rigs at our home and then everyone in the town center you know we'd have the station and so that's so you drive the you would drive the rig to the location and then people would meet just like a pta meeting and yes. show up yeah. at the emergency like okay yeah, yeah. and we're here yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and back in the day i mean when the population wasn't very many we didn't get very many calls we would call sheriffs in uh, to handle any scene safety, things like that. But we would handle all of the EMS calls. And then we would call the surrounding departments like Lehigh to handle the fire calls because we didn't have fire stations. So we handled all the EMS and all of that. And while we were still doing our trainings and get our wild cards and getting our certifications up, you know, all those things, it was really awesome. So I got to meet a lot of the great people out at the Lehigh Fire Department where we held all of our classes. Mm. And it was awesome. And then Cedar Fort's fire department was with us and we did joint trainings together. And then 
Saratoga Springs came on and they had their station and then that's just all booming now and can you imagine it's just grown so much oh yeah you know and in the past just and like I two it. years it's bananas what's going on out there oh it's insane yeah it's insane so my partner and I um, back then and some of the guys on the crew are still my friends and their wives were the ones who didn't who had a problem with females in the past hmm. because we would have to be around their men all the time and then you have this personality like me, who's outgoing and friendly and all bubbly and all that stuff, they're like, ooh, who is that girl around our husbands? Mm. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Right, kind of a thing. But then once <laughs> they got to know me and they were like, oh, she's just one of the guys. Oh my gosh, she's so cool. Now they're my best friends and I'm, you know, hang around them all the time. We do things together and it's just fun. So. <laughs> But being a woman is hard on a department uh, at first, you know, especially doing the fit testings and, you know, they have all the competitions that we do and we're never going to be, oh, I, because there are some women that are like men, but I just don't have that kind of strength. Mm -hmm. But you get my legs going, I can beat you in anything because my legs are powerhouses. My upper body is not so much, (laughs) right? But story of it my was life. awesome i yeah, loved right. it i would i would recommend it to anybody because there are some really amazing people and the people out on eagle mountains fire department will always be my family and my brothers and i love them that's fantastic very cool yeah. i love that yeah when you um when you were part of the uh the family um <laughs> it, it really is something that um that is it's almost hard to describe when you're a part of that group because you would do anything for those those folks if you transitioned out of the uh, the firefighting family, mm-hmm. what what would make, take you away from that kind of a culture? Because it is a that's magnetic. Once you're in, you're really in. Hard to get there, yeah. But great to stay. What what got you out of that? Um, health. I had an injury, um, as well as a health issue that happened. Um, I was in an abusive marriage, and uh, they. The guys on the department would come to my rescue anytime, right? And uh, I finally was able to leave that um, that relationship. And I can remember the last time an incident would happen, my oldest daughter said to me, Mom, if you don't leave, I'll be so disappointed in you. And my partner's wife, Lisa Holland, who I love so much, John Holland and their family are like my family still to this day, and Slim, David Horlocker, uh, they also said, Jen, what can we do to get you out? Because you are more powerful than this. We know you differently. He's, you are like this. Caged animal. Ca- yeah. Yeah, this sh- shrivel of yourself when you're around him. Mm-hmm. What can we do? Beat down. Beat down. So much so that um, they wanted me to run for city council out there and things like that, but he wouldn't allow me to do it. He wanted me to leave the department because he was jealous of the same thing that my, the females were at first, Firemen. right? What are you going to Firemen, do? those dang <laughs> men in uniforms, you know? My daughter's dad is a police officer, you know, and firefighters, I love them. They're just great. Um, and so health issues and an injury um, from, from that caused me to be able to not be able to continue with that at that time. And another issue was that I was a single parent now, and if I were to be killed or permanently injured on the department, there would be nobody there to take care of my young kids, and they were young. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, was like, I'm not going to be dating. Hell to the no. 
so it's just going to be me and I get to be there for my kids and so that's the only reason that I that I left how many kids do you have? I have three, three. amazing kids. 32-year-old daughter, Ariel. She's a massage therapist, an amazing mom. I have a 26-year-old daughter, Michaela, who is going to school for sign language interpretation. Mm-hmm. She's wanted to do that for her entire life. And come to find out, just about a month and a half ago, she lost her hearing in her left ear, now wears a hearing aid, and is now going to be part of the um, hearing community because of that. Hmm. And what a small world that is that God has this plan for. Hmm. Amazing, right? And then my son is 22 and he works for Tesla hmm. and he just got his schooling done at the University of Utah for cybersecurity. Hmm. Oh, wow. And I have four grandkids, ages 13, 11, five, and two and a half. Oh, wow. my goodness. Yeah. Wow. They're so cool. I <laughs> that love them. cool. They're great. What an amazing family. Thank you. Um, so here we are now. We've um, we've talked to you about kind of the progression of your life from this, um, from the, your, your young years working, uh, or seeing your dad as a developer and then, um, your travels abroad and, um, these different relationships back and forth. And, um, you really are very gentle at talking about, or just barely touching upon these tragedies that happen in your life, the, the, the suicide and the divorce and the abuse and these different things. And one of the things that I noticed on your, on your paperwork, it talked about this, um, powerful reminder that we can rise from the ashes and our darkest moments and soar to new heights um just like the phoenix and just like the name of your motorcycle is this theme that we we've talked about um is this inherent in your family are the rights this buoyant or is this something that just kind of fell upon you genetically because i've, I've bumped into families where it's like man, all of these people seem like and you can't bring them down they're all and then and then there's families where there's just one you know and, and where, where do you f- fall into that so I'm the eldest mm. of a, a large family. And I would say that predominantly we are achievers. We overcome. We are very positive. We're loving. We are service-oriented. Um, like a, my brother, Justin, he's lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He's, he also was, started out in the Air Force as a firefighter from me and moved on to becoming a physician's assistant. And he had some troubles in life and things like that. Nothing like mine, Um, but he overcame some things as well. And my brother, Jared, he had a lot of things happen to him in his life. Um, Being raised in Austin, Texas, he was a member of a gang. He was in initiations. He has a scar on the side of his arm here from one of the initiations that they do where they get a cigarette lighter, red hot burning flame, and burn it down into your muscle. Oof. So he has scars from that. He has other scars from that where he turned to you know some drugs and things. But he's overcome that now, and he is a successful owner um, and manager of a go, um, golf cart company mm. where, where they actually, like, up them, you know, like... like- Pimp my ride. Pimp, yeah, pimp, pimp your ride. ride. <laughs> pimp your ride for that. Yeah. And he was also uh, an ins- uh, an inspector, a real estate inspector. So he's a phenomenal man who overcame so many things, and he's been married forever and loves his family. So and when you're looking at this and you see your brothers and sisters being mm-hmm. the oldest, I'm, I'm the oldest. It's a it's a burden to yeah. kind of Huge burden. to uh, shine the way or the right way or the wrong way, whichever way we're shining it. Sure. Um, <laughs> how did you? Um, 
I guess the question is, is it mom or is it dad? Is oh. it um, who was the person that was the light that was like, okay, we can overcome these things? Because one of the, I think the biggest mental illnesses um, or lies that we tell ourselves is that I cannot cope. Yeah. Um, and you have this amazing coping mechanism. Like it's, Thanks. it's going to happen. And I'm, I think it's very impressive because I think a lot of us could learn. So w- that's what I'm asking is like, ah. um, how did you, where'd the coping come from? So in our whole house, we never um, learned, we never saw bad stuff, right? Um, as far as in our family, because it was always, that's just, you just don't talk about it for one thing. And if it did happen, it was always on the down low, far away from the kids. And so when I was 12 years old, well, stuff had happened to me before and I never shared it with anybody. Um, another story, but I, I would see my dad being the most hardworking person and he was the, he's the smartest person that I know. He's the greatest entrepreneur. He can just do anything. He was so successful. And even when things would go bad, he would just go, okay, shift, move, shift, move. And I learned that from him. And I also learned it from my grandparents on both, on both of my parents' side. My grandma was a nurse. That's where I got my inspiration from to get into healthcare, I think. And my grandpa was just this brilliant entrepreneur as well. And all of my dad's brothers and all of his family were. And they were just very wealthy people. And they would shift, move, shift, move. And they had family to support. And then my mom's parents, my grandpa was a pharmacist and was one of the top salesmen in all the country for uh, Park Davis? Park Davis, I think or Johnson and Johnson, I can't remember which one. And then he turned out to, and then he worked at um, Weber State University and there as a pharmacist up there when he retired. And my grandma was always busy doing things and no matter what life happened, and there was some major life that happened in their family, shift, move. And we got to see from outside when there was a, a life incident that, w- that, that wasn't really great, well at least I did because I was the oldest, where there was some bad stuff that happened and the negative effect of not dealing with it right. Mm. And I didn't want that to happen to myself and I didn't want it to happen to others. And so what could I do differently to create an, a life for me that wasn't going to be like that? Mm-hmm. And so my family definitely is. My dad is more of the entrepreneur, more of the ones that you just move and go and move and go, especially from being in an LDS family. They're the breadwinners. They're the ones that go. The moms stay at home with the kids and, you know, take care of the family. Mm-hmm. And so my, I learned a lot of that from my dad. Um, I didn't learn a lot of the other life lessons until I was older from all of my family because it wasn't a thing that you just didn't know about when you were younger. Mm-hmm. But when I became a parent myself um, and my daughter, Ariel, my oldest daughter, almost died. She was born six weeks early and was in ICU for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that my family had other things going on with them. And uh, so I got to see that, okay, they moved through all these life experiences and protected us, and we never knew about it. What strength they had, Hmm. what fortitude, and what love they had for us to not have to put us through some of those things as children so that we got to just be kids sort of, you know? Hmm. And they had to deal that with that on their own. 
and, and it inevitably caused my parents to divorce and because they grew apart and things like that and they're happily married now and, and things are great in their life you know but at the time it I didn't know that there was problems and so as I got older then I could look back and go oh there you go. Hmm. Oh, that's why mom was doing this or why mom was crying or why this was happening or why you had so much put on yourself, Jennifer. Hmm. Uh, and that's why I have three kids instead of 20 million is hmm. because I was already the parents uh, and helped raise all my brothers and sisters of so many. Hmm. But I think it's partly just genetic in our family, but also because we also had so many life experiences ourselves we didn't have a choice but to rise. Hmm. And I think that one thing I can say about the LDS church and our family was that that core of family was very important and so we relied on each other and we relied on faith and prayer and unity and the community and things like that were very, very beneficial to my family. Uh, growing up and that was a was a benefit and then when we moved to back to Texas um, that was even more so because there's not very many members of the LDS church and so your eyes can be open to a lot of different things and so not be so sheltered so that also makes you open up yourself to more learning and experiences and it just happens and there and for me I was like holy honk here we go here comes the ride mm. of self-actualization um, and awareness. And it, and it just kind of trickled down. I do have one brother that died from alcohol and drug abuse a few years ago mm-hmm. that um, never recovered. He, he was homeless for many years. He lived with me many, many times. Um, I had to, We had to send him to Samoa to try to get some help. Oh, please. Yeah. Um, we had to have him self, we had to commit him to drug and alcohol rehab and um, some codependency things with some people in my family got him out earlier than he should have and then he would just do the drugs and alcohol for coping and then I even got him into impact and he lived with me during impact but I had to lovingly kick him out of my house because he wasn't following the ground rules, not only in my house, but also of the ground rules of trainings, and for himself, that I knew that I couldn't be codependent and enable him. And even though it killed me inside, I knew that that's what I got to do to protect my kids and myself and him. Oh, sure. So It's tough. Um, loving an addict is a difficult thing, difficult thing. So what I'm hearing <laughs> you saying is it's not all... Um, rainbows and, and sunshine it's a it's a mindset it's a choice that you're making mm-hmm. over and over and over again and I think that that's um that is amazing um your story each of these stories that I've heard is this choice being made choices um if I were to ask you as you look back upon your life and let's say you could go back to that 19 year old Jennifer and mm-hmm. and um she just signed up for Peace Corps you know life is amazing um this is like the first, like here comes the very first speed bump. It's just around the corner, Jen. You just haven't seen it yet. What advice would you give that girl? Mm. Don't ever give up. Believe in yourself. You are powerful. You can do anything you put your mind to. There are people that love you that you don't even know. 
And there are people that are going through the exact same thing that you are that you don't even know. So be kind every day and be love. That mm. is it. Just be love. And when you come from that perfect place of authenticity and love, it's contagious. And it will actually, when you're being of service to others, it lifts you up. It gets you out of your own shit. Mm. It gets you out of your own grungies and you get out of your own way because you're being there for other people. And that's one of the things I love about you is your charity. Mm and how you are so outward focused and caring for people and doing it without actually bragging, doing it without actually being prideful, hmm. doing it selflessly, without that's a tremendous expectation. Compliment. That's thank you. And that's where it should come from. Thank you. I, Can you remind us what your charity's name is? Uh, it's Thanksgiving's Heroes. We're 31 days away from the big day. That's right. It's pretty exciting that we're headed that way. Uh, the, the, I think it's generational. Um, I, have a, I have a similar story um, to yours as far as the dogma and, and how I was raised. And um, the theme is always whenever you're in a bad place, whenever you're struggling, the best thing to do is serve other people. Mm -hmm. um, because the blessing is so much more, we get so much more than we can ever give. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell people that Thanksgiving's Heroes is that's what saves my life. It's the, it's the medicine that's cured me and made me a better man and a better father and, um, a better everything or, I mean, it really has. And so I, I really resonate with your service oriented life because I can see where, um, this is the medicine that helps you to have that positive outlook because things can be terrible. Things can be bad, but they could be much worse. And I, right. we've been places and seen those things that they have been worse. And so thank God that we're here today having this conversation and have the blessings that we have. And so I love your story and I love the advice that you would give that young Jennifer. I think that is powerful. I think that's something that we all need to have. And I like to ask that question in these podcasts because that is the nugget. That is the most powerful lesson. Um, as I've grown older and I ask this question, this is what I've refined it down to. And it is, I need to come from a place of love. I need, and um, the thing that is amazing is I've asked this question over and over in the podcast. Have you noticed that it is it's a reoccurring theme? What is the theme? Be love and forgive yourself and, and believe in and yourself believe in yourself and trust yourself. And these, these lessons that come over and over again, I need to be reminded of daily. I need to remember these things. And so I, I appreciate your sharing that if you were to look forward now in this place of service and love and, um, this journey that you've been on, you have so much capacity to serve and, um, help other people because you've seen so much. Um, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Where, what, what would you like, if things worked out perfectly, what would you be doing? Um, my why is not only just to create generational wealth for my kids and my family, but for others. So part of my reason for being here, I'm just going to share my impact statement with you if you don't yeah. mind. Yeah, Please. Okay. Through being a beautiful, nurturing, inspiring, worthy woman of light, I am committed cr to create worldwide abundance, joy within, and passion by living my spiritual life with unconditional love empowerment, patient teaching, and compassionate healing to all those I come in contact with in this universe. And so it is. And, and so, so it, it is. is. Bring it on. That's awesome. <laughs> Both of us <laughs> give you an amen. And so it is. I love that. I got goosebumps. I got the spirit bumps. Thank you for sharing that. Powerful. So where I want to be? Yeah. 
is I would love to be a philanthropist and do humanitarian work wherever I travel, wherever I see a need to fill a need, to take my children and my grandchildren with me, and to work with some of these great organizations that already do these do this work. So I don't recreate the will. I just am able to let them do more mm. by contributing more to what they do already. Because right. I don't need that glory. I just want to be a part of it. Mm. And that's what I would love to do. And then to be able to do mortgages and investing from around the world, wherever I want to go. you know. And if I want to go and take care of one of my friends who has MS in North Carolina and stay with her for a month when she needs me, I can go. Hmm. If I want to go to Israel and to the Gaza because those people need me, I can be of service and I can go anytime. And then I, my kids won't have to worry because they've got this money that's going to help take care of them and they've got this amazing life insurance policy and they've got these passive in investments that I've created that they are now doing as well, that they're going to miss me, but they won't need me. Mm. Still running into fires, but with a plan. A plan. Congratulations. What Thank an you. amazing place to be. Thank you. Well, I love that. As we are um, coming to the end of our podcast, our time together, Jennifer, what is, the, what is the one message you'd like to share that you'd like to help raise that frequency of the earth mm. and, and be that positive, powerful influence? I always say come from spirit. If we come from a place of love and we expect good intent from others and we assume, I don't like to assume, but if we assume good content from others, we're going to be less reactive. We're not going to judge to negativity about them. And if we come from a higher perspective and look as if we were like looking down and we could see what really is going on from a bird's eye view, you'll be surprised at what you can see. Hmm. And that other people are going through things that we don't even know about. You know, like the, the person who has road rage on this, on the, as you're driving, don't create more of it. Maybe they're rushing because their son was just killed by a drunk driver on their motorcycle sitting at a stoplight. Hmm. My friend's son was just killed this weekend from that. Oh, no. And maybe their wife's in labor. Maybe it's that they're having a seizure and they're having a medical thing. Maybe someone isn't putting a happy smiley emoji with a, you know, whatever at the end of their text message. It doesn't mean that they're angry. It doesn't mean they're mad. It doesn't mean anything. You know, verify, communicate, and be open to receive communication and be able to take feedback. Don't take it personal. Don't take it personally. That's what I was going to say. It's not always about you. Yeah. No. It's right? not. They're no. cutting you off. They don't have any idea who you are. They haven't it's thought of not, you. It, yeah, it's not about you. No, it's yeah. not. It's not about you. And don't make it about you. Yeah. yeah. Don't because go you're out not of your that, way. You're not that important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though we think we are, That's we right. really do. Well, listen, Jennifer, um, as I endorse um, you and um, the opportunity to be a life coach and the opportunity to um, help out with mortgages and, and your dynamic investing, how could people find you that um, they, could, they could have this goodness in their life? Oh, thank you for asking. I appreciate that ask. Uh, so they can reach me at Jennifer Wright at nexamortgage.com. And that's for mortgages and all things that lending. And Jennifer at inspiredphoenix.org. 
for all of my investing, and my phone number is 801-210-0158. Be brilliant. Thank and these you. things will be in the notes of, uh, of the show Absolutely. that we can look up, and also if you sure. have a um, social media influence or um, a handles that you would like us to share, we'd love to have those in the notes because being an influence for good, we would love to support you in spreading your message and this wisdom that you're sharing with us. Thank you very much for your Thank time you. tonight. You're welcome. I would love to have your information as well so that I can put it out to all my humanitarians um, and put the word out, even with the, you know, the bells, with my investing networks. Um, I was one of the initial founders of the w Utah Women's Real Estate Investing Network, and wow. I'm surrounded by powerful people, as well as some of my other contacts. Let's put a, a drive together. Let's create some more awareness because I'm all about paying it forward too. And so let's make the magic happen, Captain. All right. I Jennifer. love that. So if you want to see her, I have a lot of videos that. Okay. She's, <laughs> that she's in. All right. Check out and we Kelly. Have, we have more planned. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to the American Masterminds podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Please comment, um, like it, subscribe, be a part of the community that um, is making a change in the world. Our goal here isn't just to share information, but it is to improve your life and the life of those that are around you and be a part of this organization in sharing it and passing this message along. Powerful messages tonight that are worthy of your time and worthy of your family's time. Um, be sure to like us. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thanks. Appreciate it.